Hello and welcome to Freelancing for Journalists, the podcast that tells you everything you need to know about working for yourself. I'm Lily Cantor, a freelance money, health and lifestyle journalist. And I'm Emma Wilkinson, a freelance journalist specialising in health and medicine. So this is a bonus dual cast episode that we recorded with our friends at Northern Natter. And we had a really nice long chat with them and they've done a brilliant job of editing this down into this little episode for you. Yeah, so they invited us to come and talk to them about finances and all about dealing with money as a freelance journalist. We had a really nice time talking to them and we really admire everything that they do. And it's great that they're shining a spotlight on journalism and making it work in the north of England and Scotland. So we really hope you enjoy this episode. This is now the second season of Northern Natter. So we are with Emma Wilkinson and Lily Cantor from Freelancing from Journalists. If you both would like to do a little introduction to yourselves, like a dating show, who you are, what's your name, where you come from. Who's going to go first? I'll go. I'll go. Okay, go. Um, I'm Lily Cantor. I'm a freelance money, health and lifestyle journalist. And I mainly freelance for national newspapers, um, a few magazines and websites and a couple of international titles as well. But I'm very much a generalist rather than a specialist, um, fingers in lots of different pies. Um, And I'm Emma Wilkinson and I'm a freelance journalist specialising in medicine and health. And I've been doing that, I've been freelance for about 15 years this year. And together we are freelancing for journalists basically our kind of tagline is lifting the lid on freelance life but it's kind of practical anything kind of practical tools information to help kind of people get their foot on the freelancing ladder or just make more of a success of it if they're already freelancing so we have a book a podcast we do webinars we do a training course with journalism.co.uk um, we do Lily Wells. Do we do <laughs> a Facebook? We have a Facebook community that's growing really rapidly. Oh yeah, it gets it's really good. I'm on it. Yeah, it is. It's amazing the Facebook group. It's the way it's taken off. And what's nice about it now is obviously we we moderate it, but we don't feel like we have to respond to every post because the community is responding to the posts. So it, there's a really nice network of people, and it's global as well. Interestingly. Um, I think it's 74% female. No idea why, but it is. Um, I don't know if there's more women that are interested in freelancing. We certainly found that when we were researching the book, that it does seem to tip more towards women. Um, But yeah, that's definitely reflected in our our freelance um, Facebook community as well. So I think it is probably reflective of... A, the industry as a whole, but also I think women seek out those networks more than men. And certainly anecdotally, men we've had on the podcast have said, yeah, I need to make more of an effort to get into some of these networks. I just think don't think men network in the same way as women or to the same extent. Yeah, that's really interesting. I would, I mean, as a, as a woman myself, I definitely rely quite a lot on these network pages um, that are out there. Just because just I think it's nice and it's good to have a chat with people as well. It's good to find people on your on your level of expertise and then hire. Yeah, and, and I think it's great as well to see that there's so many students and graduates in our Facebook community as well that have 
making those connections already um, or they're working on projects and they're sort of using it to collaborate and find other people. Um, so yeah, it seems to be working quite well for us and for the community as a whole. Has it grown over lockdown? Do you think more kind of journalists and students and graduates and people who are going to the Facebook community have like, it's kind of evolved from COVID and lockdown or? That's a really interesting point. And we do get asked that quite a bit, particularly about, you know, the podcast and all the training would that have taken off so much if it wasn't for the pandemic? And I think you're right. I think probably more people are seeking A, networks, because they're not meeting people face to face, but B, sort of opportunities, perhaps, you know, there aren't events that they can go to. So they're looking online more for these kind of communities. Uh, all, all might have more time on their hands and kind of think, right, I'm going to really get to grips with this now so I think um yeah I do think that's driven it and obviously there's people who've lost their jobs or are furloughed or struggling to find work and they perhaps think freelancing's an option for them so that's probably driven some traffic as well interestingly this week our podcast episode that we made last March in 2020 on um working from home and homeschooling during a lockdown is now our most popular episode <laughs> people yeah. are coming back to it because we're you know we're back in the same situation again so our webinars were really popular and kind of one of the most popular ones was we did one on kind of making the most of uh kind of using freelancing to hit hit the ground running kind of while you're a student while you're in your final year kind of how can you build your portfolio kind of pitch and maybe get some articles and that kind of led ultimately onto our journalism work experience initiative because we realized that there were all these students that would normally be going in to do placements and they couldn't do that um because all the journalists were working at home um, and yet we kind of had a pool of freelancers who might be able to kind of help them out with that with remote placements so it's really hard to know what would have happened had covid not come along because it's just created all these different scenarios that we had to adapt to it might be that we our you know our offering just looked a bit different because we wouldn't have had to adapt in the same way that's really interesting like just to kind of look into the you know we look into like research before we do podcasting things and stuff and looking at the analytics behind who are like joining the community and everything but it's really interesting so just a bit more kind of about you um how did you start out as I'm kind of a northern woman and a journalist and how did you kind of find your feet you go first Emma you're more northern than me I, yes <laughs> I am I am officially northern I have the badge I yeah so I'm from Bradford originally and I um, went to university in Sheffield um, and my first degree was in biomedical science but I realized that I was more interested in kind of writing about learning about science than I was in doing any hated being in the lab and um, which led me to a journalism master's which is where I met Lily we were on the same MA course uh, also at Sheffield but then after that straight after that I moved to London for a few years because I'd kind of got interested in medical publishing and writing for specialist journals and that sort of thing health kind of uh, writing and everything was based in London and because this is 20 years ago there's no remote working or no 
I mean, most of the publications I worked for didn't have websites at the time. That's kind of uh, showing my age there. But I realised that I actually had no choice if I wanted to work in this kind of world. I had to go down to London for a bit. I got a job straight out of university with a medical journal. But weirdly, I was thinking about this today. I my plan was and it was always from the beginning right I'll do that for about four or five years then I'll go freelance and I had no idea what freelancing was I didn't know anyone who freelanced I just I don't know if it was just the cockiness of youth or just being naive I was just like that's what I'll do and I didn't look into it and I didn't know anything about it um and then I did after five years we moved back to Sheffield by this point I'd got a part-time position at uh, BBC News Online so I was a health reporter two days a week so I spent three years kind of traveling between Sheffield and London so I did kind of my two days down in London but I was living in Sheffield and um, then I had children and uh, quit that job because I couldn't do that anymore and so I've been kind of fully freelance living in Sheffield for the past 10 years um, and I also do some teaching so I teach at um I'm an associate lecturer at Sheffield Hallam and I've done some teaching at the University of Sheffield before that as well so yeah that's that's me in an in a nutshell um I can't really tell you how exactly that plan worked out other than I was just determined that that was the only way because I couldn't possibly live in London for longer than five years and then okay. Do you think the circumstances have changed now do you think it's more easier to work up north? Yeah so I think it's easier to work remotely. I think organisations have got used to that. So the organisations that I work, the publications that I work for, most of them knew me when I lived in London and I kind of worked for them for a bit. So I suppose that I had kind of built up that relationship. Um, so they were really happy for the past 10 years for me to work remotely. They didn't care where I was and that I was doing it from home. Um, but I think I was very unusual in doing that. And it was only because I'd built up that relationship with them. Whereas now it's, you know, much, much more usual. I've got, you know, I work for people in Australia, Lily's worked kind of for clients all over the world. It's it's just more normal. And I think it's just because of um, the technology that's allowed remote working to be possible. I mean, I've never worked or lived in London, so I've never kind of experienced it from the other side. I've anyway so to me it seems completely normal to not live in London and not work in London because I've never done it um I never wanted to I was very clear that I I really did not want to live in London I don't just don't like London as a big you know maybe I'm just not a really big city person um I mean my journey was very different um in the I, as Emma said, we met at Sheffield University and then I went into local newspapers and I sort of travelled around. So I, I worked down in Wiltshire on a, on a weekly paper, sort of in a little town, sort of really kind of rural, um, doing everything from your village fates to murders. You know, there was an awful story of a young girl who was murdered by a, the man she babysat for they were having an affair and he buried her in the building site that he worked on um <laughs> horrific story but it was brilliant at the time when I was a trainee 
autism massive story that was kind of going you know all the nationals were trying to get hold of it and we were there right on the front line anyway so we were kind of doing really extreme things so I'm in Leicestershire now but I commute up to Sheffield to teach and people always say to me oh you commute to Sheffield is that a long way yeah if I was commuting to London no one would ever ask me that and it's pretty much the same distance and the same amount of time so there is yeah there is this sort of still slight um prejudice I suppose about kind of going north for work um but I yeah so I worked in local newspapers and I left and actually went back to university to do a PhD and then from there kind of got into academia and I was I was lecturing and then I ended up um running the journalism PR um section of the department at Sheffield Hallam but I always had one eye on what Emma was doing and I kind of was really always envious of her career um and that she had this niche and she was freelance and and doing kind of what she wanted to do and as time went on I started to realize that I really wanted to get back into journalism um I'd applied for job here and there but because I'd been in academia for a few years I didn't even get an interview so I just started writing and I did do quite a bit of stuff for free in the beginning which is kind of a whole other bag of worms bag of worms can of worms can of worms (laughs) whole other can of worms and we're going to cover that on a podcast episode in our next series but um yeah so I started doing that and then I built up enough confidence really to start pitching and the first commission I had was for the Guardian which was kind of like a dream come true for me and I really had this turning point where I I distinctly remember it because I had a conversation with my parents about it where I got an academic paper accepted to this really prestigious conference that you know academics get really excited about and then the same week I got my story commissioned actually it was published in the Guardian and I was so much more excited about that than I was about this really academic conference and I was like that kind of made me realize that I wanted to get back into journalism I do think there is a bit of a again a sort of this this myth that you have to live in London or you have to have worked for a national title to them freelance um and I think maybe that was one case, uh, particularly, you know, before the internet. But now there really is no, nothing to stop you. And I think it's more of an attitude than anything else. It's this kind of misconception that you have to have some connection to London. Do you think it's weird to talk about money? Not as in giving advice, but to just discuss, you know, incomes and things. Um, I think we need to get better at talking about money. I think... Um, you know knowing I mean part of it is kind of from a freelance point of view knowing what rates you should be paid what rates other people are being paid for the same work as you Um, and there's a lot more transparency these days around those conversations and there's various databases that are available Um, but I you know I think we should be transparent about what we earn and where our incomes come from which are all different I, I mean I don't mind talking about it at all I think we do need to get better talking about it because otherwise I think you can quite easily get yourself uh, in a muddle or think that you're not earning enough or being exploited because you think you're so grateful to be paid something when actually you should be paying, you should be being paid twice as much for that work. And if we don't have those conversations and talk about it, then how would you ever know? So 
what would be the first bit of advice you would give someone about money, about financing, who's wanting to go into freelancing? I would say get yourself organised um, before you start. Um, there's various different things that you need to think about. Um, you First of all, you need to understand the tax implications. So um, really registering with HMRC is probably one of the first things you need to think about. Um, and a lot of people find this quite scary, but there's loads of information online and actually they're really helpful when you ring up. Um, you, you can be on hold for an hour or more, but once you get through, they are super helpful. Um, so the best thing is probably just to ring up. I know when I started freelancing, the first thing I did was I just rang up HMRC and said, oh, what do I need to do? And they talked me through everything. Um, so that would be kind of one of the first things. Um, Emma, what do you think would be best to do next? Um, yeah, so set, the next thing would be to set up um, a way of uh, keeping tabs on your income um, and expenses and do that from the beginning because you will forget things. There's no point going back and doing that retrospectively. It will take you forever and you'll forget it. So kind of it, just a Google Doc, it's a Google kind of spreadsheet just set up kind of what you're earning and any kind of expenses that um, you think you should be able to claim related to your business, you put everything down because you can work out later if they're things that you're actually not supposed to claim. If you put everything down, then you've made a record of it. Um, and also that allows you to keep track of invoicing. So you need to make sure you're getting paid for the work that you're doing so you need to be on top of sending the invoice because companies are very slow to pay you and get you on their systems and that can be a real faff and if you're not on top of sending them an invoice then you're just adding an extra delay into that kind of whole procedure and then what would happen if you forgot to invoice for something then you're never going to get paid for it and then to put aside a portion of every single bit of money that you earn somewhere in a savings account, somewhere completely separate and just leave it there so that, because when you first start, the way the tax years fall, it can be a really long time before you're actually paying any tax. Um, and then there's a thing called payment on account, which Lily can talk about in a minute, which is can really kind of mess you up. If you haven't actually just put that money, just put it to one side, don't touch it, it's there. And then you just don't have to worry about it. Sorry, so what, how much do you have to be earning before you could have to sign up for self-employed? It's a thousand pounds is what they say, is once you earn over a thousand pounds, you need to register yourself as self-employed. Um, and that's registering, but then you don't get taxed um, until you meet the sort of minimum tax threshold, um, which is around, is it 12,000 now? It changes every year. Um, and I know in Scotland, they've got different tax thresholds. But you have to be, if, sort of officially, you have to be registered um, once you've, you earn over a thousand pounds. But to be honest, I don't really care until you hit that tax threshold. So if you're a bit late to do that, it's not, it's not a massive issue. Um, in a way, is it 25%? Is that right? Yeah, around about that would probably, yeah, you'd probably cover everything and maybe have a little bit 
left. The, the problem is, as Emma mentioned, is this payment on account. So when you do come to do your self-assessment, you don't just pay for the year that's just gone. You actually pay for half of the year in front of you. You are basically paying one and a half times the tax. Um, and you have to do that every year. I think, again, I think there's a threshold. You have to be earning a certain amount um, before that happens. Uh, Emma, do you know how much that is? I can't remember, but it may be around, I'm trying to think, because when I had, because I got, I've been caught out twice by this. You'd think I would have learned the first time when I didn't know anything about that. But then I'd had a few years of maternity leaves kind of falling over tax years. And so the way it worked out, my income was under it will have somewhere under about twenty thousand pounds and then you don't have to pay the payment on account and then when i started uh kind of working more regularly again and i'd not had those breaks all of a sudden i had this massive payment on account that i'd completely forgotten was a thing because i'd not done it for five years the hmrc website is actually really good they do have all these details so if you just went in and typed payment on account it would give you the thresholds and and what you needed you know, once you are earning a certain amount, it probably is worth getting an accountant who can get their head around this stuff and can tell you what you can and can't claim for. If they don't have, if someone can't uh, get an accountant, what other information, you know, where else can they get this information from? I mean, I did my own self-assessment form for uh, a long time, for years before I kind of got uh, an accountant. Um, so it's perfectly possible to kind of do it yourself. Um, you could look in our book <laughs> but as well as that we have a whole chapter on finances um but yes the the hmr website is good and like lily says it might when you call them up it can take a while to get through i would advise not be doing it on the 30th of january when your tax return is due on the 31st um you know call them in summer when they're a bit less busy but they're incredibly helpful and they'll take they'll take the time to go through everything and tell you what you need to be doing and you know what suits your circumstances so it is perfectly possible to do it yourself it just might take a bit of time to get your head around exactly how that works i mean i just print everything out expense wise if i've got an expense i literally print it out and i've got a file and i just shove it in the file for that year yeah, so it's things like you might buy a book that you need for an article that you're writing, or it might be some stationery or some printer ink, or it might be your website subscription. There's all your travel, so that's a whole massive section of it as well. You know, even if it's just getting on the bus to go and meet a contact, that all yeah. counts. Yeah. Uh, so then you've got to keep your receipt from your kind of bus ticket so that you've got it or your train ticket. And um, so if I, the way I did, I'm a bit like Lily, but I do mine on my computer, so I kind of, I've got a printer that's a scanner, so I just scan it in and put it in a file on my computer. So it's all just there in one file, but I would write it in the Google Doc at the same time. You've just got to find the way that works for you. The other thing is writing your income down as you go along will help you get a better idea of how much you're likely to earn that year or how much you're earning a month. My income one is also like my workflow. So I've got all my deadlines on there and I highlight in red the ones that have got the deadlines kind of coming up color coding thing is a good tip because um you can immediately see who still owes you money i'm getting quite good at going oi <laughs> money <laughs> i think that's what you need to do isn't it you can't just let it pass and then they might forget at some point and that's a whole other area is sort of payment on publication late payment fees kill fees um you kind of 
have to get your head around all that as well when you're freelancing and how aggressively you're going to chase money as well um i think the main piece of advice is if you've got a publication that's messing you around then just don't work for them in the future it's just it's just not worth it but it can be difficult that the whole payment on publication is a real issue the vast majority of publications still doing it so you don't actually get paid until they publish your article and they can sit on it for as long as they like you know i've had one that it was 14 months before they published it that's my longest um and it was only 90 quid it was only a little like opinion piece but I badgered and badgered and badgered until they eventually published it. But yeah, it's, it's being aware of all these different kind of quirks and um, trying to, again, push back as much as possible and not get exploited or people take advantage of you and not being afraid to chase invoices and chase accounts and chase editors and you know if you need to get the union involved get them involved as well you know and then there's a whole area of of publications you haven't written for who rip off your copy or your photos and whether you can get paid for that and chasing that so you're looking horrified Katie (laughs) but you know this is kind of what it is the world of freelancing um and you do kind of just get your head around it all and you get used to it it becomes second nature after a while it's just yeah and you find the people that actually don't mess you around and you work for them and you kind of channel all your pictures towards those publications that and it maybe they don't pay as well but you know that they pay quickly and they you know they don't mess you about so you're you're prepared to work for them and if you are kind of thinking that this is all a bit kind of you want to go freelance but this is all a bit daunting then this is when you kind of join the Facebook communities and networks because there's always so many people in there who've been through this who've done it who can answer your questions tell you the form of wording you need to use when it's appropriate to chase all that kind of stuff if if you know someone's messing you around they'll tell you how to deal with it so that's why it's really kind of key to be in those networks and to you know speak up and ask questions when you've got a problem yeah there's a really good Facebook group group called can pay won't pay and that's all about publishers messing people around um and people seeking advice and and there's a bit of naming and shaming goes on in there as well so that people are aware of you know the publications that are not being fair to their writers that one can be can be useful but there's loads of other groups um including our own that people can use and and ask questions about anything to do with money really money's the thing that does come up a lot i think it might be the one that people are a little bit unsure about you know going in you know you think you know i'll be a freelance it's just writing whatever you love and then the money things are almost forgotten about (laughs) (laughs) you're like my poker face is on point because i'm just like what help but like, <laughs> I'm honest, I, I get by. <laughs> um, I think just kind of to round it up with this episode, if you could give a student or a graduate or someone who's entering the industry one top tip of, of, of advice, what would it be? I'm waiting for Emma to go first. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to say something really broad but that's going to be ask questions don't be afraid to ask questions i mean it kind of comes back to these communities um you know whether that's on facebook in our group or on twitter on social media i think there might you might 
be a sense that kind of freelance journalists are kind of secretive or don't want to kind of tell you about their you know lucrative work in case you steal it away and we're all kind of in competition with each other but actually that's not what we found at all and it's really actually really collaborative really helpful people are really willing to um kind of share advice and thoughts and tips so just don't you know if you've got something you're not sure about there isn't a stupid question it's absolutely fine we've all been there and had to work these things out so just ask ask questions yeah i think that's a really good one i'm trying to think (laughs) as good as that now i guess um my advice would be to to believe in yourself and not to let imposter syndrome sink in um and you know anyone can do it but you need to have the kind of confidence the determination the perseverance as well not to get easily upset if you are feeling like you're not getting responses not to take it personally you do have to have a lot of resilience you do have to be fixed in to be freelance you need to be fixing to be a journalist but to be a freelance journalist you, you know you need a double skin um but not to take it personally um because we all start off in the same place you know you're, you're pitching 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 and you're hearing absolutely nothing and that is completely normal and that doesn't mean you're not doing a good job so don't kind of feel like you're not good enough it's just it's hard and you have to work hard to crack it so just keep persevering would be my advice Oh, that is brilliant. Thank you so, so much. I mean, it's just been so helpful. I think, especially when it comes to money and finances, me and Katie, we haven't had to deal with that yet. Glad to be of help. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and if anyone's got any questions, just come along to the Facebook community and ask away and all our helpful uh, freelance colleagues will answer your questions. And that is just freelancing for journalists. Yeah, if you search freelancing yeah. for journalists on Facebook, will come up. And we've got our website, freelancingforjournalists.com, which has got links to sort of all the different things that we do, the podcast, the book, the webinars and everything. Um, that's kind of the best place as a starting point for everything that we do. Well, thank you so, so much for joining us tonight. And You're welcome. Time. I think we're about to get kicked off again, aren't we? I know. Yeah, I hope that was helpful. <laughs> right. Well, cheers. And uh, we'll speak soon. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Okay, thanks guys.